Our reading begins as Jesus and his disciples move into Caesarea Philippi. This is an easy detail to overlook since the geography of the Bible isn't familiar to us. And so most of the time we tend to gloss over when we hear a random location named in the Bible. But be clear, they matter. And they certainly matter to the original audience of the gospel. Matthew knew this, and in our reading today, he is very clear, very sure to name exactly where Jesus and his disciples were when this pivotal conversation takes place. Where they were, in that Caesarea Philippi. This is a Roman-occupied city on the northern boundary of Israel. And it's a city named for two people, Caesar, emperor of Rome, but also Herod's son, Philip. Before it was named after the Greek god Pan, and it, uh, there in that, that city, it housed a monstrous strata, this god of the wilderness. Location matters in the Bible. It can often give significant, added significance to a moment in time. It can add some weight to a particular moment or conversation or event. So Matthew is clear to note that this conversation about who Jesus is and Peter's declaration of who this Jesus is, that this conversation takes place in a city that was at the crossroads of empire, but also pagan religion. As they draw near to this significant region, Jesus simply asks, who do people say the Son of Man is? They respond, he's John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. These are surely murmurings, the things that the disciples have been overhearing all along their tour with Jesus. Basically saying that, yeah, he kind of reminds them of John or Elijah, or maybe he's, he's kind of like one of the great prophets from old. And yes, any of these, would, these comparisons would be considered a high compliment as they're all among the all-stars of the story of Israel. But the issue here is that such an answer really means that Jesus isn't anything new. What they're saying is we've seen this before. You know, he, he's kind of like so-and-so. So Jesus poses the question to his disciples. A slightly different question, but this difference really matters. Instead of saying, who do people say the Son of Man is, he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? He's hoping that those closest to him, who have followed him all along the way, might have a better understanding of just who he is. Peter jumps to the occasion here, and his answer really becomes the first creed, the first confession of the church. As he says, you are the Messiah, you are Christ, you are the anointed one, the chosen one. You're the son of the living God. Jesus blesses Peter and he reminds him of his nickname, saying, you're Peter, you're rock. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. He'll have authority to bind or loose and to hold the keys of the kingdom. Peter's declaration is a glimpse of genius from the otherwise foolish disciples, and that includes Peter. 
throughout the gospel, these disciples simply have trouble understanding who Jesus is. Leading my, uh, one of my New Testament professors and, and former Lindsay lecturer here at WPC, uh, Dr. Francis Taylor Gensch, to call them the disciples. Because they simply don't get it. They simply forget and miss who Jesus is. But here, Peter's declaration is a glimpse of genius. For a moment, they get who he is. But, while they name who he is, they don't necessarily understand what this means. And friends, it's not until his crucifixion, until the disciples finally get who Jesus is and what it means that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. So for now, Peter is given the correct answer, but he still doesn't know what that means. Which perhaps is why after blessing Peter, Jesus orders them very sternly not to tell anyone who he really is. I find it interesting that as soon as Peter confesses Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus immediately turns the conversation to the church. And in particular, the leadership and authority of Christ's church. This is a very intentional move by Matthew. After all, he's the only gospel writer to, to even utter the word church in his account of Jesus. And as you've heard me say before, this word in church in, in, in Greek is ekklesia, which literally means those who have been called out. Renowned Bible scholar Raymond Brown makes the point that here Matthew is establishing norms for the church in his time that occurs some 50 years after Jesus' ministry. Matthew's community consists of, of, of primarily Jewish Christians, but it had a growing number of Gentile converts. And together, as this new community, they sought a roadmap of what it means to be Christ's church. This text shows that such a question really begins with understanding who Jesus is. It is, after all, his church. And any authority or weight that the church holds can only come through Jesus, who he is, who himself is head of this church. Friends, who we believe Jesus is, who we believe Jesus to be, matters. It matters who we believe Jesus to be because that directly impacts what kind of church we will be. Is Jesus simply a great teacher, a healer, a miracle worker? These are all descriptions of what Jesus did, but focusing on one of them misses the essence of who he truly is. The essence that Peter so eloquently states in the church's first confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. A church who sees Jesus simply as a good teacher might have a fine mission program for their community. They may even be an effective advocate for the least of these in their midst. But they'd have little to say about God's redemption of the brokenness of this world through Christ and that his kingdom is drawing near and we are called to live into that kingdom and proclaim that kingdom. In our Reformed tradition, John Calvin provides the church 
with a fuller understanding of who Jesus is through what's known as the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, Jesus teaches and reveals God's will and kingdom to us. As priest, Christ intercedes on our behalf, even dying on the cross to save us from our sin and rising to new life to defeat death for us. As king, we proclaim that Christ reigns eternally throughout heaven and earth. This threefold office gives us a fuller image of who Jesus is as the son of the living God. And this directly impacts who we are as disciples. It directly impacts who we are as his church, as those who have been called out to proclaim his, his word and love to this broken world. This time of pandemic, in this time of pandemic when we're worshiping virtually and unable to gather, this has really caused the church to think anew as to who we are. While the church near and far has found so many creative ways to worship and live into its mission, in many ways, friends, we're still figuring that out. Our text today reminds us that the identity of the church is always rooted, first and foremost, in who Jesus is. They're rooted in Jesus himself. In this task of thinking about the mission of the church, the first question is, who do we say that Jesus is? Then and only then can we discern what it means to be a community of his disciples, seeking to share his gospel for such a time as this. And friends, let us remember that we have been called for such a time as this to be Christ's church and to proclaim his gospel. Friends, may we continue to proclaim the good news that Jesus indeed is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he is indeed our prophet, priest, and king. May we do so confident that he has called us to be his disciples and that he has called us to be his church for just such a time as this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.